This podcast is brought to you by Langley & Benack, a full-service South and Central Texas law firm that delivers the highest quality legal advice coupled with exceptional client service. From our main office in San Antonio, we provide the resources of a national firm while maintaining close ties to the communities in which we practice. To learn more, please visit us at langleybenack.com. That's langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. Today's episode is part one of a five-part series on oil, gas, and energy law. The series is hosted by Clinton Butler. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Langley and Vanak podcast are for information purposes only and should not be considered legal or professional advice for any particular situation. The presentation of this informational content does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website at www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. Today will be a little different than the other episodes that will follow. This episode will be a surface level overview of oil and gas law in Texas and will serve as a jumping off point for each of the four remaining episodes, which will take a more in-depth look into the specific areas of oil and gas law in the state of Texas. Joining me today will not be a lawyer, but rather an experienced podcast host who will serve as a stand-in avatar for our audience to inject questions into the presentation whenever she sees fit. My guest today is Patricia Butler. Patricia is a small business owner in San Antonio. She hosts a podcast of her own, and as the name might suggest, she's also my wife. So she's had a great deal of experience in listening to an oil and gas lawyer talk endlessly about oil and gas matters. So with that, please join me in welcoming to the podcast my first guest, and who will no doubt be my favorite guest, my wife Patricia Butler. Patricia, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing? I'm doing well, I'm right next to you. Well, that is true. Uh, so. When I was mapping out this podcast, we wanted to do the first episode to be kind of a you know surface level overview of what oil and gas law in Texas is and just hit some major points and briefly touch on each of them. And so when I was thinking about how to best present this, I thought that the best way to do it would to bring in somebody who's not a lawyer uh, who could uh, stand in for the audience, uh, you know, made up of people who also aren't lawyers, to try to keep me, uh, you know, grounded in not going into legalese as much as possible on this first episode. And so, you know, that is your purpose here today, is to, as I'm going through what are some very basic issues of oil and gas law, I want you to inject questions that you, as just a regular person who doesn't have the mental deficiency of being an oil and gas lawyer, uh, you know, I want you to be able to jump in, you know, say, look, wait, 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 slow down. I need I you to. I do that. I already do that. You you do it on almost a daily basis, and so it should be just old hat for you. So with that, I thought we would jump in with just what is it that we mean when we're discussing what a mineral interest is, okay? So, you know, when, uh, when we talk about mineral rights, what is it exactly 
that we're talking about. And so I am handing you now this bundle of sticks that is wrapped in a little bit of string, correct? Right. Okay, so you have a bundle of sticks in front of you, right? And you're probably wondering, why do I have this bundle of sticks, correct? Correct. Well, that's because this is a mineral interest. Does it look like a mineral interest? No, it just looks like a bundle of sticks. That's right. But this is how I was taught as to what a mineral interest is. When I went to Baylor Law School, uh, my mineral professor, oil and gas professor, uh, the first day brought in a device similar to this, five sticks wrapped in string, and told us this is a mineral interest. And what he meant by that was that a mineral interest is really a collection or a bundle of rights. It's not per se owning, you know, a barrel of oil. That's not really what a mineral right is. What a mineral right is, is five different specific aspects or rights that one has in the mineral interest under the property. And so what do I mean by that? Well, those five sticks that we talk about, uh, they're, they're five individual rights. And the first right is what's called the bonus right. The second right is what's called the ingress-egress right. The third right is the delay rental right. The fourth right is the royalty right. And the final right is the executive right. So what I'd like to do is just briefly discuss each one of those rights. And then we can dive into different issues about you know, how we can break apart these sticks and convey them, reserve them, you know, separate one stick from the bundle or keep all sticks together. And so basically how one conveys and reserves minerals, right? Right. Okay, so the first stick we're gonna talk about, we're gonna pull this out of our little bundle and this stick is called the bonus right, all right? Now, if you own this stick, if you have the bonus interest in the property, it's a portion of the mineral rights. If you own this right, then you have the right upon the execution of an oil and gas lease to receive an upfront bonus payment as consideration or payment for you entering into that oil and gas lease. An oil and gas lease is a conveyance from the mineral owner to an operator to an oil and gas company, a Marathon, an EOG, a Conoco. And that gives one of those companies, Marathon, EOG, Conoco, et cetera, the right to come onto the property and explore for oil and gas on that property. But normally, an oil and gas lease does not obligate the oil and gas company to come out there and drill for oil and gas. It just simply gives them the right to do so within a set period of time. That's normally called the primary term in an oil and gas lease. And so in order for a contract to be binding, there has to be consideration exchanged between the parties. And so as the mineral owner, the consideration I'm giving to the oil and gas company is the right to come out there and explore for oil and gas on the property. In order to bind the contract, the oil and gas company is giving me a upfront bonus payment in order to bind that contract. So if I own 10 mineral acres in this piece of property and you're gonna pay a $500 an acre bonus, you're gonna pay me $5,000. Correct. Make sense? Yes, so it, let me stop you for a second. Sure. I, I wanna make sure that I, I understood what, I, what you just said. Sure. 
So all of a sudden, I happen to have mineral rights. Well, I don't know if it's all of a sudden, okay. but you have mineral <laughs> rights. They, well, I, they don't oh, just appear. Okay, so, or, or a mineral interest. I find out that I, that I might have a, a mineral interest, and one of my rights, if I do have a mineral interest, is to kind of sort of make money just on the land where the mineral interests are going to be taken from. Well, yes, as, a, as minerals are all about really making money off the exploration of those minerals. To own a mineral right is to own the ability to make money off those minerals. And really there's two ways to make money off the minerals. The first is through the upfront payment that is made, this bonus payment that is made at the front end of the lease. In order, you know, when you give them the lease, when you give them your freshly executed oil and gas lease, the oil and gas company at the same time is going to hand you an upfront bonus payment called the bonus. And that payment binds the oil and gas lease because we have now both exchanged consideration to each other. You, as the mineral owner, have given me, the oil and gas company, the oil and gas lease. You've given me the right to come onto your property at any time within a three, five, seven year period to come on and explore for oil and gas. I, the operator, have given you cash. And so we've exchanged consideration. So pretty much we've given you permission. Yes, that's right. Okay. And that'll come in, how that permission is expressly granted is gonna come in in a later right called the executive right. But this bonus right is just, I'm entitled to this amount of cash and nothing more. Okay. Okay. And so moving on to the next right, or are we good? I, bonus is good? I think, I think I do. Okay. You get money for giving for giving someone permission to use your land. There you go. There. All right. So the next right is the ingress egress right. And that right permits the owner of the mineral estate to allow for the oil and gas company to come onto the surface of the property to explore and produce minerals. Now, this right becomes really important when one party owns the minerals under the land and another party owns the surface of the land. So let's say for instance, you own, we're gonna have an imaginary piece of land here. We're gonna call it Blackacre, mm -hmm. all right? Yes. Uh, I own the surface of Blackacre, but I don't own any minerals. Okay. You own the minerals of Blackacre, but you don't own any surface, okay? Okay. Um, you know, hypothetically, let's say, you know, in dad's will, he leaves me the surface of the ranch, but he leaves you all the minerals because he thinks you'll do a better job of managing. Which I will. Which will probably end up happening. <laughs> all right, so I own the surface, you own the minerals, but you know the question's gonna be, as a surface owner, I don't want any mineral development, right? Yeah, I, I, if that's the case, but what if I do want the money that comes from... Exactly. From the actual... How do you, as the mineral owner, yes. get to those minerals if you don't own the surface, right? Right. Well, that's where the ingress-egress right comes in. And the ingress-egress right allows the mineral owner to come to allow for the operator, the oil and gas company, the Marathon, the Conoco, the EOG, to come onto the surface of the property, even though the mineral owner doesn't own the surface, to be able to explore for oil and gas under the surface. And so, that is really based upon a, a theory in Texas called the dominant estate theory, in which in Texas, we separate land into two distinct estates, 
the surface estate and the mineral estate. Okay, so and those estates can be severed and split up to owned by different people, like we have in our example, where you own the minerals, I own the surface. Got it. So the dominant estate theory states that the mineral estate, the owner of the minerals, mm -hmm. has the dominant is dominant over the owner of the surface estate, and the surface is subject to reasonable use and development of that surface in order to access, explore, and produce minerals from underneath that surface. Okay. Yeah. Let me see if I Let's understand. break it down. Yes. So, in Texas, people can own just the surface, which is the top. Mm -hmm. uh, one person can own that, and then another person can own underneath, where the dirt is, where the oil is. Right. Right. Own, so, not so much own the dirt, but own the right to explore for that oh, minerals. For those right. minerals. Right. Okay. So even if the person who owns the land, the top of the land, mm -hmm. doesn't want the those explorations, they still have to let the person do whatever they want in that in under the dirt where the oil is to do all the exploring. Subject to reasonable development. Okay. okay, I mean, they just can't go crazy, but as long as it's quote-unquote reasonable, uh, then yes, the ingress-egress right, this second stick, permits the mineral owner to allow for an oil and gas company buying through an oil and gas lease to come onto the surface, even if the mineral owner doesn't own it, to explore for the minerals underneath it. That is why, and we'll get into this in episode two when I talk to Elizabeth about deed conveyances, that's why it's always really important that when you're buying surface-only property that you understand that that surface is subject to oil and gas development. And if you do not have any sort of protections in your deed as the surface owner, then you know if an Eagleford shale blows up around you, your land may be uh, used for oil and gas development that you never predicted uh, when you bought it. You know, there are people who in Carnes County bought the surface only of ranches in 1991, never thinking there'd be an Eagleford shale. But then all of a sudden in 2011, they got 10 wells on their property that they're not partaking in that, you know, have taken up a large footprint on their property. So when you're entering into a surface only deal, you got to be careful that uh, that you're going into it with full knowledge and you know that is why at Langley we always recommend that you should try to get some minerals even if it's hard to get and even if you're not in a oil and gas producing area it's important that you have some minerals so that you have some skin in the game in the event that you know an eagle for shale just happens out of nowhere like it did in Carnes and uh, Atascosa and all the way down to Demick County so that's the second right. That's the ingress-egress, the right to allow for the oil and gas company to come onto the property. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So you were, let me just put the two rights together. The, the first one, um, the surface owner can give permit if they give permission to... Not the surface owner. Mineral owner. The, I'm sorry. The, the mineral owner gives permission to an oil company to come drill. They can do that even if the landowner doesn't want to. Yes. Okay. And as we will see in some later episodes, that can lead to some pretty big fights. Yes. So the third right 
is the delay rental ride. The delay rental ride is a dinosaur. It's a relic of the past. It no longer walks this earth. But it's one of the rights. We're here discussing it. Let me tell you what it is. The delay rental right is a rental payment that is due every year during what's called the primary term of an oil and gas lease during which there's no drilling. So let me put that into English, okay? So an oil and gas lease has a primary term. You know, let's just say hypothetically it's five years. During that five-year period, there's no obligation to drill, but they can drill for oil and gas. Now, if an oil and gas company wants the oil and gas lease to extend for longer than the primary term, then it does have to drill and produce oil and gas on the property. So there'll be a term in, you know, paragraph two or something of your oil and gas lease, which will say something to the effect that this lease will last for three years and for so long thereafter as oil and gas is produced in the, from the property in paying quantities. And what that means is that the oil and gas company has three years to get out there and drill a well. Now, delay rentals, when they were used back in the 50s, 60s, and really kind of up into the 80s, delay rentals were a rental payment that was due every year on the anniversary of the execution of the lease for every year during the primary term in which there was not drilling on the property. Okay, so let me kind of give you an example. So let's say we've got a five-year primary term, all right? Okay. We execute the lease, you pay me the bonus, good job. Year one goes by of the five-year primary term, no drilling. They owe me the delay rental. You know, in our oil and gas lease, it'll say, you know, there'll be a delay rental of $100 per acre. If I own 100 acres, pay me, you know, $100,000. I'm not even sure if that math works. But <laughs> so, so whatever, whatever 100 times 100 is. So um, the delay rental is due on the anniversary of the lease every year that there's not drilling. Now, if in year two they start drilling, then there's no delay rental owed because even though it's in the primary term still, because they're drilling, that rental is not used. That rental is basically kind of like a, a stick to prod the oil and gas company to get out there and drill so you're not having to pay me a rental every year. Now, like I said, it's a dinosaur. It's a relic. It doesn't exist. And that's because oil and gas companies hate it when their oil and gas lease terminates. And they specifically hate it when it terminates based upon an accounting error. And so, why have to go through the rigmarole of making sure we're making this rental payment every year when we'll just pay you all the rental up front along with the bonus payment and that way we'll just get out there and drill when we need to drill and so oil and gas companies have really gotten away from liking to do rental payments because it's just an accounting obligation and so many of them have just said look we just pay everything up front the bonus we don't do delay rentals and we'll just drill within the primary term if we want to. If not, the lease will terminate after the primary term ends. Got it. So that's our third right. That's yes. our, our third stick there. Yes, and we're not going to discuss it because it's not even used. Yeah, anymore. I mean, you can just forget that I even talked about it. So that, that last four or five minutes was just, you know, us just shooting the breeze. Got it. All right, so the, final, uh, the fourth right, and this is where we start, you know, really getting into the meat of, of the sticks. This is the royalty right. Um, you know, if you come into my office and say, I own some minerals, what is it that you're really coming to my office to talk about? 
Money. Money. Okay. The bonus payment is nice. The bonus payments are good upfront money, uh, but really where mineral owners make their money is in the royalty. The royalty right is the right to receive a share of the production of the oil and gas produced from your property. So if I own the royalty right, then when an oil and gas lease is executed, that oil and gas lease is going to say in it that, you know, for all oil produced from the property, I will get one-fourth, I will be paid as a royalty, one-fourth of the oil and gas produced from the property. And what that basically means is that for every four barrels produced, I'm going to be paid for one of them. And the other three barrels will be paid off to the oil and gas companies and the investors and the working interest owners that have a share in the well. Okay. Yeah. I am. Now, well, this is one we're going to sit on for a little while and we'll break it down. Okay, so owning mineral rights means that you owe the royalty of, it's like owning a part of the oil that is being extracted from your property. If I own the particular stick in this bundle called the royalty, then yes, I get paid a royalty off of the production of the oil and gas from the property pursuant to the terms of the lease. So whatever the lease says my royalty is going to be, then multiply that lease royalty by whatever percentage of the royalty right I own in that property, and that's gonna be the percentage I'm gonna be paid on. So if I own 100% of the royalty right in Blackacre, our mythical property, and I, there is a one-fourth oil and gas lease, then you multiply 100% my royalty interest in the property multiplied by one-fourth the royalty I have contracted in the lease, and that's going to be what I get paid on multiplied by the price per, per barrel. Okay, so when I, if I own all the royalties, mm -hmm. I will make a percentage of the production. Yes. Okay, so I have to make sure that I go to a good attorney, like yourself, <laughs> and make sure that I get as uh, the best deal possible on that part of my rights as a mineral owner, because that's where I make most of my, that's where I'm actually gonna make, be making my money. A lot of the negotiation of an oil and gas lease is based around the royalty rights and ancillary matters around it. You know, as we'll discuss with Stephen All in episode three, you know, there are lots of little issues that you need to address in your oil and gas lease that will really uh, affect your royalty right in addition to, you know, just that basic fraction. So, you know, you're going to have in your oil and gas lease, you know, that you're going to be paid a quarter, uh, you know, one-fourth royalty. But, you know, is it one-fourth royalty of the fair market value of the oil produced? Is it one-fourth of the amount realized by the operator? Is it the greater of those amounts? Is it the lesser of those amounts? Are your royalties cost-free? Or do you share a percentage of the cost uh, that's the same as your, your royalty rate? So, you know, we'll explore those issues much more so in, in episode three, but those are certainly issues that would affect, you know, your bottom line. You know, what amount am I getting paid on uh, those are going to be issues that are going to affect your bottom line that you need to pay attention to in addition to what's just that basic, you know, fraction that I'm going to get in my oil and gas lease. So the royalty right 
you know, oftentimes is what the clients care the most about because it's it's the right that you know that you get paid on the most and that's that's really where you make your money in an oil and gas lease particularly one that's got producing wells you know that upfront bonus like i said it's nice but really uh put your attention and your focus more so into the royalty and all of the terms associated with your payment of royalty because that's where the the money really comes in and those those issues on the sidelines are really going to determine you know how much you get in the end and so that's why you were saying just a, a few minutes ago that is important for people who are looking into buying land to also try to get uh, as a certain percentage of the minerals because that way you can still either have a say you'll be able to have a say so on the royalties and get a percentage of the royalties well when we get into the next right we're going to talk about who does and does not have a okay. say so but yes if you get some of the royalty interest even if it's just the royalty interest you know let's say we've got this bundle of sticks here okay and i'm selling you black acre and i own all of these sticks i own 100 percent of all five sticks all right and i say look i don't want to give you the bonus right or the ingress egress right or you know, the right we're going to discuss here in a minute, the executive right, but I will give you some royalty. What that means is, even though you won't get an upfront payment, you won't participate in the negotiation of the oil and gas lease, uh, you won't have anything to do with the operator's operations on your property, it does mean that if there is oil and gas operations on this property you're buying, you will share in some of the economic benefits of that production. So you get a little skin in the game you got some reason not to so much complain about, as the surface owner, about there being oil and gas development because you're going to benefit from it. So, you know, and, and we'll get into it after we conclude our fifth right. We'll talk about, you know, really why you need to try to get, get some skin in the game as a surface owner. And that leads us to our final right, and that's the executive right. And this is the right to negotiate and execute an oil and gas lease for the development of minerals under a particular piece of property. All right, so if I own the executive right, then I, let's say I own 100% of it. I own, I'm the only one holding that stick, okay? Okay. Then I and I alone am responsible and have the privilege of negotiating and executing the terms of the oil and gas lease on this piece of property. And in fact, I may be able to decide there isn't going to be an oil and gas lease on this property. Exactly. Okay, so, so, so wait, yeah. so if someone owns, like we were talking about, someone so owns the top of the land and someone owns the where the oil the is. The minerals. The minerals. When, if that person decides that... Well, let's not use, let's, let's get more specific. Surface owner or mineral Okay, owner. so the, if the surface owner is all for it, they, are, they obviously wanna, they have some interest on the on the royalties if there weren't royalties but that person who owns the mineral rights doesn't want to do it well it's usually the scenario is usually flipped so let me give you a scenario where it's kind of where you find conflict okay okay and we'll discuss this in detail in episode five which is dedicated exclusively to the executive right okay but let, we'll give you a little preview 
little teaser, yes. if you will. Love this teasers. is this is what we call in the business little little cross promotion. All right, so let's say that a uh, a gentleman uh, buys the surface of the property in the year two thousand, and in the year two thousand, he also negotiates and buys all of the executive rights for the property. And the only thing he owns is the surface and the executive rights. The person who sold him the property retained all the bonus rights and retained all the royalty rights. Now, what you have there is a recipe for disaster because what you've done is you've given the surface owner who has no interest in producing minerals from that property because he's not going to get the bonus, he's not going to get the royalty, but he does have the power to determine whether or not there's going to be an oil and gas lease and therefore whether or not there's going to be development of those minerals from that surface of the property. And so what, what benefit, what, you know, what spurs him on to want to say yes to an oil and gas lease if he doesn't get a bonus and if he doesn't get a royalty? Yeah, no, that, I think they would be very upset. Well, who's they? Well, the surface owner. The surface owner doesn't want to yeah. execute that oil and gas lease, and the mineral owner is upset because they want their minerals produced. They want their money. And that's when conflict ensues. Yes. Now, with the executive right comes a duty. It's called the executive duty. And the executive duty states that I, as the executive, have a duty to all those non-executives that I hold the executive right over. So back to our example. I would, in this example, hold your executive rights because I own 100% of the executive rights in Blackacre and you own 100% of the royalty and bonus rights. But those bonus and royalty rights are subject to me as the executive right executing an oil and gas lease. I, as the executive owner, owe you the non-participating royalty owner because you do not participate in the execution or negotiation of oil and gas lease, I owe you a duty to put your interest equal to mine. Okay. And if I put my interest above yours, if I enter into some sort of self-dealing that devalues your mental interest, I would be liable for a breach of executive duty and you as the mineral owner could sue me. Okay. And so with owning the executive right, comes a duty, a burden on the executive rights owner to put his interest equal to that of the mineral owner. Got it. Okay? And that right has evolved significantly in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, ending with a case called Texas Outfitters, uh, which Dad and I uh, tried back in oh, 2016 or so and was what I think one of the top five seminal executive right cases to come down in the last 30 years. And so Dad and I will, in episode five, explore the executive right, how it's evolved, how that duty has evolved, and how it's really become you know, a true fiduciary duty, like the duty that an attorney owes his client or a doctor owes his patient or a trustee owes the beneficiary of a trust. The duty has really evolved for the executive to reach that level. And we'll explore that in a lot greater detail in episode five. So those are our five rights. Bonus, ingress, egress, 
delay rental, royalty, and executive. So collectively, those five rights are what we mean when we say a mineral interest. So when I presented you with this bundle of sticks earlier today, that's what it is. A mineral interest is a bundle or a collection of individual rights. And now I can take this bundle of sticks here and if I own all of these sticks, if I conveyed you Blackacre, these sticks, unless I reserve them in myself, are going to go to you. Minerals automatically transfer with the surface unless they're specifically reserved in the deed. So let's say I'm conveying you Blackacre, but I want to keep the bonus and the executive right. Then what I would do is in the deed, I would take these two sticks out of this bundle and I would specifically state in my deed, I am reserving for grantor, my heirs, successors, and assigns, the bonus and the executive right. Or I could take a percentage of one of the rights. I could take the royalty right, snap it in half, and say in my deed, I am reserving 50% of the royalty right, and the rest would go automatically to you. So you really have to be careful when you're doing the, when, when you are separating, if you're separating this bundle of sticks, you have to have it in writing because if you don't mention it at all, then it's going to be assumed that those things, all those sticks would belong to me. Minerals are conveyed with the surface unless specifically reserved. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. And so Elizabeth and I in episode two are going to get heavy into uh, deeds, assignments, and other mineral conveyance documents, and then the sort of litigation that we oftentimes see that revolve around those types of issues. Okay, got it. So, you know, those are our five rights. It's important that when you're conveying your interest in land, that if you want to retain any of those mineral rights, that you specifically reserve them. And so, Going on, one of the other issues that we oftentimes deal with that's ancillary to oil and gas development is water. Yes, I remember when we lived in Carn City, um, everybody was talking about, you know, who owns the water. Right, right. And so water is critically important in, uh, in the Eagleford Shale and, so, and in other horizontal uh, shale plays. And that's because in order to frack these wells or to break up the rocks surrounding these wells, hundreds of thousands of barrels of water is necessary. And let me just kind of briefly tell you how these horizontal shale wells work. They're different than your traditional uh, oil and gas well. Like if you go out to Saudi Arabia, underneath the ground, there are huge swimming pools of oil that the Saudi Arabians just stick a straw into the ground and then oil comes up. You know, it's like a swimming pool, if you will, of oil. Just stick a hose in there, suck all the water up, okay? In Texas, in South Texas, in West Texas, and in other what's called shale plays, the oil and gas is actually trapped in rock, or trapped in a, a rockish formation. And so what oil and gas companies developed is what's called fracturing technology. And the well is drilled, you know, we'll just say the Eagleford here, the well is drilled about 10,000 feet deep. So from the surface vertically down to about 10,000 feet, 
the well then turns horizontally and will go horizontal, you know, parallel to the surface, about 10,000 feet deep, for another five to 10,000 feet. During or in that horizontal portion of the well, certain stages will be set up called frack stages. And those stages, and in, in those stages, what'll happen is the oil and gas company will pu uh, pump a mixture of water and some sort of sand composite that breaks up or fractures or fracks the rock surrounding that horizontal portion of the well. And once that rock is broken up, the oil and gas and hydrocarbons that are trapped in that rock flow out of the rock into the well and then back up the wellhead and are produced as oil and gas. Okay, so when the oil is coming out for the first time, it's also coming out with water and sand and to the surface. Yes, particularly at the very beginning because yes. all the stuff that was pumped out gets flowed back up. Because of for whatever reason, the pressure and the water and sure. whatever. So you're still, when, you're, when this, the oil starts coming out, it's going to push out the water mm -hmm. and all those other chemicals and sand that they're used. Right, and I'm no petroleum engineer, but I, I know enough to, so, to know that when that oil and gas is produced, normally at the wellhead or then later downstream, it goes through what's called a three-phase separation. And the oil, gas, and water mixture that comes out of the wellhead is separated. Oil is separated and piped off, gas is separated and piped off, and water is separated and piped off. Where does the water go when it's being piped off? Normally, it goes into what's called a saltwater disposal well. Uh, those, uh, the, the excess water, the, the produced water, uh, is piped or trucked to a saltwater disposal well that basically what happens is it's then pumped back into the earth into a vacant formation uh, or a, you know, kind of like a, an underwater cave or an underground cave uh, that can hold the produced water. And so that produced water gets pumped back down into the earth uh, and is then, you know, sometimes recycled and sometimes reused. Okay. So the water is owned by the person who owns the mineral rights or the surface rights or the oil or the or the fracking company well you know let's start back at the beginning as to who owns water period yes water's a surface right like trees okay. and you know uh, sand or caliche it's owned by the surface owner however if you remember our second right which is the ingress egress right the right to reasonably use the surface of the property in order to explore for oil and gas that same right allows for the oil and gas company to use water owned by the surface owner, even if the mineral owner doesn't own the water, to be able to use water from the surface to be able to produce oil and gas on that property. Not for off property, but on that property. And so an oil and gas company, even if the mineral owner doesn't own the surface, the oil and gas company is permitted reasonable use of the water in order to explore for oil and gas, unless the oil and gas lease says differently. Um, you know, the way we draft oil and gas leases, we try to exclude water from the grant. And so that if they want to use water, 
they got to enter into a separate water use agreement with us. So you can win with renting your land, you can, you can win with royalties, and you can also make money with, with the water. You can, and in fact, many surface owners who don't own minerals, you know, in the Eagle for Sale, have made a good deal of money by selling water to third-party companies who are not leasing their land. You know, because like I said, the oil and gas company can have reasonable use of the water for that property, but it doesn't have reasonable use of your water for all the other properties it owns. So if an oil and gas company needs water and you got a great Carrizo Springs water well on your property, then oftentimes what we've done is enter into water use agreements with companies that allow companies to be able to produce water from that well and then ship it via these uh, you know, above ground pipes to their oil and gas operations on other properties. Okay, got it. I think I got it. Okay. <laughs> well, any other questions on that? Um, yeah, I have one question. Sure. The, and this is, uh, it has n nothing to do actually with mineral interest. What do you see is the future for oil and gas? Well, I do not own a crystal ball. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that, that caveat. But, you know, I guess it depends on if we're talking about short term, medium term, or long term. And we'll, we'll start long term. Oil and gas is a, uh, it's a, it's a 20th century and 21st, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's an energy source that is likely not going to be around uh, when our grandchildren and great-grandchildren are, uh, you know, our age. You know, I, I just see that the world is moving toward uh, more renewable energies and that in the future, you know, the, the far-reaching future, uh, those will be the sources of energy. Uh, may oil and gas still have a place like in plastics and in, in other, other things in our lives? Yes. Will it be the dominant source of energy in our lives? I, I just don't see that as happening. Um, but in the short term and in the medium term, uh, you know, for the rest of my life, uh, I, I see oil and gas as being a vital part of all of our lives, from how we get around, to the plastics that we use, uh, to just our everyday lives. And so, you know, you also got to take into account that there are countries who are just now emerging into, you know, big time economies, India, China, Africa, uh, you know, all of Africa. Uh, those countries and continents are going to start uh, really ramping up production and it's going to take oil and gas in order to meet that production. So, you know, while certain economies and uh, in certain places are moving definitely toward more renewables, um, I don't see the oil and gas industry uh, going under anytime soon. Got it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Any other questions for me? One more question. Yes. When I'm, when I get to find out that I have royalties, that I own minerals, how do I find out what the price? What? How do I know which one is going to be my price? Is it the? Is it a set price that the oil and gas company gives me, or is it the price that is on the market at that time, since oil is, you know, changes pricing every day. 
So your question is, uh, when I'm getting paid a royalty by the oil and gas company pursuant to the lease, is the price per barrel based upon some fair market value evaluation or is it the amount realized by the oil and gas company when they sell it? Yeah. Is that yes. fair enough? Yes. Okay. That's going to depend on the terms of your oil and gas lease. So back when we were talking about the royalty right and we were talking about there's ancillary matters that you need to make sure you address in your oil and gas lease, this is one of them. You know, how do you value my oil and gas? Is it the amount you know that Marathon sells it to some sort of midstream company is that the is that the amount that's realized or is it based upon some sort of market value uh, your oil and gas lease will dictate that and so it's important that when you're drafting your oil and gas lease that if it's going to be an amount realized you want to make sure that it's an amount that the oil and gas company is realizing to a third-party purchaser Oftentimes, these oil and gas companies will spin off midstream companies. And midstream companies are your pipeline companies who transport it from you know, the oil and gas well down to the refinery. And they will typically be the ones that buy the oil and gas from the producers like Marathon, and EOG, and Chesapeake. What you don't want is you don't want that sale to be the determining point of sale to determine the value of royalties because you can imagine there's probably going to be a sweetheart deal there. Yeah. All right. So you want it to be the amount realized to a third party non-affiliated company. Got it. All right. So you need to make sure your oil and gas says something like that. The other issue is what if it's a fair market value lease? You know, I'm going to be paid one quarter of the oil and gas produced from this property based upon the fair market value of the oil. Well, what index determines the fair market value? You know, your oil and gas lease needs to dictate that because different indexes have different values. You know, West Texas intermediate market may value oil at a higher amount than Flint Hills. Okay. And so how that value, how that fair market value is determined will in large part determine how much you get paid on. Now, what we like to do in our oil and gas lease is do all that, you know, will your amount realize you know, dictate it's got to be the third party point of sale with your uh, fair market value, define the, the, uh, the index that you want to, uh, to be determinative of your value, and then make the royalty based upon the greater of either the amount realized or the fair market value. So if Marathon sells oil to a third party for $55 a barrel, but West Texas Intermediate Crude lists oil at $60 per barrel. We want you getting paid at $60 per barrel, not the amount realized. Make God, sense? Yes. Okay. I think that's a good stopping point for today. Oh my God. Yes, it is. <laughs> it was a lot of information. It was. You feel like you okay? Yeah, I feel like I can just get my law degree and start representing people in oil and gas. You want a job as a paralegal? No. You want to work for me? No. Yeah? No. <laughs> maybe that might lead to us getting divorced pretty quickly. Oh, maybe murder. Yeah. <laughs> You'd look good in an orange jumpsuit. Thank you. All right. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you were you. awesome. I appreciate it. Love you.
Thank you very much for joining us today. On our next episode, we'll be discussing how to convey or reserve minerals and the types of mineral conveyance lawsuits we typically see here at Langley Manac. I'll be joined next episode by my partner, Elizabeth Kopeski, who has written extensively on the topic and in my opinion, despite her young age, is one of the leading experts in the state of Texas on this issue. Thank you for joining the Langley and Benack podcast on mineral law in Texas, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today for the Langley and Benack podcast. Please subscribe to get the latest updates. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website, www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600.